Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Boogie, and welcome to another episode of Isolation Be Like. I am in my studio slash um, truck um, in the driveway. It is December 1st. It is freezing outside. I tried to be gangster and record this without cutting on the car in the heat, but that didn't quite work out. So um, you might hear the hum of my <laughs> of my engine um, in the studio, but we're going to make it do what it do. Hope y'all doing all right. I had not planned on recording today. And um, I had just been trying to write or just trying to do something. I, I knew I wanted to. I've been trying to get back in the flow of, of things. It's been a minute since I've recorded. I've been trying to write. I've started a few things, some new things, and um, been trying to get that done. But nothing was really taken. And then this morning, I was minding my business, and um, my friend posted uh, uh a status update on um, Facebook about Leslie Odom. I think that's his name from Hamilton. Um, I didn't, I didn't finish Hamilton. Um, I wasn't that into it and I'm, I know, you know, whatever. I know people are, but I just, I didn't love it, but I'm aware of him. I'm mostly from, you know, media and press, but not so much the show. Haven't really heard him sing, but I know he had, um, has a good voice. Um, and um, apparently had has a Christmas album and she said it was good so I was washing the dishes and doing other things I said I, let's play it and you know beautiful voice um, great music but he reminded me of uh, Brian McKnight so um, when I went to go for my walk today um, I hopped in the car because I drive someplace to go for my walk I have a little spot in Baltimore that I like. And um, I got in the car and decided I was going to play some Brian McKnight. Normally, I would just let the playlist, um, you know, the best of playlist just rock. Um, but I wanted to hear that first CD from 92 because that's my favorite of his. And I hadn't listened to it in a while. And for whatever reason, um, my Spotify was on that kind of random order thing where, you know, the, the CD doesn't or the, the whatever, the CD. I'm just going to call it a CD because I'm of a certain age. The CD doesn't start at the beginning. It starts wherever it starts. And the first song that um, that came up was Oh Lord, uh, which which is my favorite song on the CD. And it's one of them songs that um, that the first time I heard it just kind of went right through me and um um and it's just a beautiful song his voice is perfect um on this particular record and um and I haven't heard it in a long time because it's not a song that they're going to play on quiet storm and I don't listen to gospel station unless I'm listening to my girl Vita um <laughs> when she's on the air down in Atlanta sometimes I listen to her because that's my girl but for the most part, I don't listen to gospel stations. And um, so I haven't heard this song in a long time. And it's crazy how art, you know, whether it's a book, uh, a painting, a poem, a song, whatever it is, can just bring you back to a place or... Um, 
kind of trigger certain kind of feelings, thoughts, emotions. It's it's the power in that is um um it's just pretty amazing. And I'm in my truck, minding my business, gonna do my walk, get my pressure down, you know, get my steps in. I wasn't really thinking about nothing, just happened to be out the house for a minute. And I was instantly just stuck um, when the song started. And today is um, um, December 1st. And um, it's, you know, World AIDS Day. And, um, And I had not consciously thought that I wanted to write anything or say anything about that. But it was on my mind um, earlier uh, before I left to go walk. And then this song pops on and I hear him um, start singing. And I am taken back to a moment in my life where um, this song had me in my car crying like a... Like, I had to pull off the road I was driving, had to pull over um, um, to compose myself um, because I was going through some things. And and there's something about this particular record and at at that particular time that just kind of was where this song was sort of kind of about kind of where I was at the time. And I was, it's about questioning is about being seen it's about being heard and asking uh, and I'm not a religious person in this way but asking the Lord to, to answer these questions trying to, you're trying to figure life out and this morning I was just chilling I was you know regular tired just about my business and I hear him and I can't sing but I hear can you hear me I'm calling your name Oh Lord, and I was just stuck, and I felt my eyes, and I'm getting my eyes are getting watery now, thinking about this song and this particular moment where I was young and I was working for the National Enquirer, and um, one night I was leaving work, I threw my book bag on my back. I was the youngest cat in there. Uh, and um, you know, I'm about to go out, more than likely go someplace and hang out, eat, and whatever, do what I'm going to do with my friends. And the assistant bureau chief, Julia, stopped me. Um, beautiful woman. Um, you know, she seemed older to me then, but she probably was, you know, in her 30s, <laughs> you know. And um, she seemed really mature and just, you know, gracious and just really, but down to earth and and fun. And um, she called me in her office because I had to pass by her office before I left to get out of the door. And she said, what you up to? And, you know, come on in, let's talk. And I was new and I wanted to get to know her. She wanted to get to know me. And I was at that age where I didn't have to be nowhere. It wasn't nobody waiting on me. I was 20, 21, 22. It wasn't nobody waiting for me. So I can kind of come and go as I please. So sure, I can, you know, throw my book back down and come plop down in her office and just start talking. So that's what I did. And, you know, we um, 
would laugh a lot in the office. She was really nice. She had my back. Um, but that particular night, I think I was just sort of in a different zone, a different place. And she noticed. And, um, and she asked me if I was okay. And I lied and said I was. We kept talking. And then she circled back and she said, uh, are you sure? Is, is everything fine? And, you know, this is L.A. in the, in the mid-90s. And things are kind of loosey-goosey. We haven't quite gotten to sort of like where you can't say anything at work and you can't say anything to people and everything's going to get you in HR. People people were doing all kinds of shit in their office and talking about all kinds of things, but I just felt like what I was going through at that particular moment wasn't something for her. Um, but she asked a third time and I told her I wasn't okay. I said, you know, I just had some things on my mind. And it's crazy because I have you know, I have friends and um, have people who I knew who I was, I consider myself myself to be close with, but I just wouldn't have had that conversation with them that I was about to have with her. Um, and I don't know what made me have it with her, to be honest, other than I think I might have just needed to lay some things down. And I just told her, I said, you know, I met this guy, we had a good time, went on a date. And, you know, one thing led to another. You know, I always played it safe and we were safe, but there was a moment, there was a scare. And I told her I was worried because I didn't really know him that well. And, um, you know, and I had, you know, had a healthy dose of fear having grown up in the 80s where, you know, sex could kill you, right? You know, so I had this sort of deep, 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 you know, learned well beyond any kind of shame about being gay, but learned paranoia and fear about attaching um, gay intimacy with death, uh, with illness. Um, And it was um, almost a, a crippling fear. And then I had this this moment, um, and it scared the shit out of me. And I had been so careful, and I was just I was scared to death. So I tell her, and I'm 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 young, and I'm telling this woman, my boss, who runs the West Coast Bureau um, of where I work, and. Um, And she's just looking at me, right, after I say what I say. And it's not like she's judging or anything like that. She's looking. She's taking it in. She's listening. And um, she doesn't hug me or anything, but she she gives me the number to to a place. She writes it down. She hands it to me. She gives me the number, and she tells me to go there. She goes, it's a clinic. They do testing. You get your results back in a couple of days. It's the fastest place in the area. And it's where all the porn stars go. Um, and they get the results. And they go every week because they have to um, to keep working. So go there. Um, don't go anywhere else. Go there. You got to know. You got to, you know, you got to you gotta do what you got to do. Um, 
and then she went to hand me this 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 index card that she had written the phone number on or the name of the place and I I didn't want to take it because before it was just a fear I, it was something where I was just like oh, I'm just paranoid but then I told her about what had happened and uh, it became real and I knew when I took that card that it was a real thing and I was going to have to follow through so I took it and I put it in my book bag and I got up to leave and as I was leaving um, she just said um, you know go go in the morning you can go tomorrow and I'll you know it's fine don't worry about coming in and I'll cover and if you need anything let me know um, so that's what I did I went handled business I get there <laughs> it was where the porn stars went I saw one that I was familiar with from my rentals it was very exciting and I had never had a test an HIV test before and I was asked all these questions and it was really um, it felt really invasive but I understood the nature of the questions and when you're answering these questions, it's just like, I mean, I went in there thinking I made this one mistake, but as I'm being asked all these questions, I'm like, damn, like, I should have been up in this bitch a long time ago, <laughs> um, getting a test. Um, and, you know, they did what they had to do, took the blood, blah, blah, blah. But I love calculating my odds. You're right. I was just nervous, like, you know, after answering all, answering those questions and thinking about what had happened and I'm calculating the odds and I'm 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 a I'm a bit of a wreck, but um I gotta go to work and there's nobody really talk to really talk to. The people who are probably closest to me um didn't I mean, I wasn't in the closet per se. I wasn't. But it's a weird thing, and I don't. I, I've tried to explain this over the years, and people don't quite understand it. But like, I had really good friends who loved me as an individual, and um, but treated me different, and they didn't know it, and I don't think I knew it because I, I had never been taught to expect to be treated the same. Um, but once I realized that I wasn't, it was painfully um, obvious and hard to ignore. And it was like, it wasn't like I was being treated badly. Um, but there are just different ways in which you are treated, different ways in which people check in with you, different ways in which people um, connect. And so it made talking about, and, you know, talking about certain things difficult. My friends weren't all gay and um mostly they were not um and uh so I didn't really have a place to to kind of unload and to kind of really cry about this without feeling judged and shamed and you know misunderstood so I just held it in apparently I'm pretty good at that and went about my life went to work for a day or two and then um I got the call that the results were in a couple of days later. And, you know, even though um, 
Julia had been really kind and, and sending me to that place and kind of being a, an ear, um, we didn't hug, we didn't, you know, we didn't do any of that, we just, she was just being a good friend, um, like a work friend, a little bit more than a work friend, like, just like a, a mentor, I can't explain it, but there was some distance in that, right, she was telling me what to do and telling me almost like a, a good auntie, um, let me know if you need anything, but when I got that phone call, um, to come in the next morning, I was, I knew the results were coming, but it just, my heart just, it just dropped, right, because I didn't know what, what I was going to do, um, and the world had done a pretty good job of scaring the shit out of me about everything um, related to being gay, um, you know, HIV, and all the things that came with that, um, and mostly, you know, I didn't know enough and hadn't seen enough um, to know what it looked like on a day-to-day to have the virus Um, but what I what I was really afraid of was just being alone in the middle of something like that Um, and I went into her office and I told her that the results would be ready in the morning and then I don't know what made me you know, do this. I just kind of stood there, and then um, she stood up, and I just, uh, um, I leaned into her, and she just kind of took me in her arms and just kind of held me there, you know, for for a while at work, right? And then she asked me if I wanted to go to dinner. I said, yeah, and we went to Fridays. We drove past all these fancy-ass restaurants, where we were <laughs> on sunset to drive out to Fridays um, in Marina Del Rey, uh, which was a whole scene. And um, we ate, I laughed, I had a good time, and it, I felt okay until the moment, um, you know, I left and got back in my car and I was alone again. And Brian McKnight CD was in the was in the CD player, and being a a glutton for punishment, I hit play on my favorite song. Um, and then there's and there's Brian singing these lyrics that just sort of speak to all these questions that I was having in my life about myself and about my place and about whether or not I was going to um, to make it you know I can't go on this way will I make it another day I can't sing but this is my show (laughs) I can't go on this way will I make it another day I felt like that 
more than I more than I knew like at the time like I can look back now and think about so when I'm listening today when that song comes on today and I hear these lyrics um, you know I can't go on this way while I make it another day I'm remembering who I was then and how fragile life was so I'm listening to that song and I am bawling driving um, from the Fridays back to LA I'm on 90 I think it is and I had to pull off um, somewhere whenever, wherever I got off and sit the same person would have stopped playing that song I played the song as I did today over and over again until I couldn't cry anymore it was I cried myself to the point there were no more tears what I think about now um, when I when when I think about that song and what I felt today when I was listening to it when I was walking when I was in my car and when I came home I listened to it was just like that person who um, who fell into Julia's arms weeping um, who who sat parked on some some street wherever I was crying listening to the song and repeat um, as smart as I thought I was as talented as I thought I was um, as good of a person as I thought I was I had no idea could not see any vision for it I couldn't see myself I knew I wanted I knew what I wanted but I did not see myself in the future. There was no model for it. Uh, I didn't know who would support me towards that uh, that future. Uh, just fragile. And I was bugging today just thinking, you know, um, I woke up this morning and um, to my kids busting in the door hopping in the bed and randomly talking about Spider-Man and Captain Marvel and then asking random questions about squirrels and raccoons and then um, asking for cereal and then asking what cereal is made of um, and giving me a big hug and a kiss and just, you know, with my husband pretending not to <laughs> be awake for a little while while all this is going on but then just kind of you know, joining in and just, I woke up to a life, um, to a life, I made cereal, um, I did a little work, um, put water under the Christmas trees, um, uh, homeschool Montessori via the internet, it's crazy. Um, what else did I do? I just, 
I made beans, right, in my house. Got in my truck that I love and drove to go walk because I felt like it. Um, and I take this, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I was going to say I take it for granted. I don't take it for granted. But hearing that song today reminded me of the of how far I've come. And it is is highlighting you know, I often wonder where is the trauma, right? Like People talk about, you know, we're all carrying this trauma, blah, blah, blah. And I've had things happen to me. I've talked about some of those things. But then over over the last year, maybe two years, I've really started to explore the idea of this baggage, the trauma that I'm carrying. And I think about, you know, not just having a place, not having a sense of home um, or, or be having a place where you feel comfortable, um, not knowing you'll survive and not being able to really talk about that in a real way um trauma um and I knew what I wanted but I'm sitting here in my house with my kids and my husband in a neighborhood um that has foxes running around it in the winter (laughs) Um, it's almost like I can't believe it. Um, when I was at the Inquirer, there was another reporter there who um, who was positive, and. He was the first person that I knew well, that I knew had, um, was HIV positive. And when I met him, it was friendly, (laughs) but I looked really young and I was young and, um, he was a little bitchy, uh, but like that kind of like, I'm going to give you a hard time, but I, you know. It's, you know, it's with love. And um, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know him, so of course I wouldn't know his status. I didn't know for a little while. um, And someone mentioned it to me because they thought I knew um, he was was out sick. And um, they mentioned it, and I I had no idea. And um, I was blown away by him. You know, everything... I didn't know anyone. I had not known anyone. And he um, was just a fun, smart, brave, uh, say anything, do what he wanted kind of guy. And um, we worked together and he worked his ass off and he was he was the shit. And um, and he was tough, sometimes a little mean. And he was just a he was just a person. He was just a person. Um, And I remember wishing um, that I that I had 
had that experience earlier of seeing um, the humanity um, instead of having grown up from a a distant sort of news media and it, it, it came from hysteria that some of it people didn't know what was going on and all that stuff but just I wish I had been able to locate and touch that humanity earlier in my life um, I would have maybe been less frightened of um, and been kinder um, um, and, and more thoughtful But you know when you know, and I'm, I'm, I met him, and um, he was a co-worker, it was cool, he didn't become some sort of angel who, <laughs> who helped me understand something, he was just a guy, and I'm glad I met him, and um, respected him, and, um, and because he, he was there working just like me, I didn't even really think about it at all unless someone brought it up or maybe he was out sick you know for a day or two I would think about it a little bit and worry a little bit and then he and then he was gone and um cause he he, he, he couldn't work anymore and then you know and I hadn't seen him so I, I still had the vision of him as he was at work um, but not too long after he passed away, and he was the first person I knew closely to 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 pass away. Um, and I remember just being uh, devastated and just grateful that I had a chance to know him and I was at his memorial service um, by myself because that is my thing I'm sitting to the side I knew I knew the people there well I love those guys but I just I was processing my my feelings around losing him and um, what I could learn and just um, I was just taking it all in and I was sort of in my own bubble <laughs> And this woman pops up next to me, I guess, seeing me by myself and just says, so how did you, how did you know? And I look and it's, um, Charlene Tilton from, um, Dallas <laughs> asking me and I laugh and it felt kind of cosmic. Like he sent her, he knew that would make me laugh. And I did. Um, like in my head and I smiled and we talked and we laughed and um, I remember um, leaving there feeling like um, if nothing else if I don't learn anything else about um, HIV and AIDS it's about um, it's to see it's to see people I can't believe how we acted as, I can't believe it I'm disappointed in how we acted as a 
country towards other citizens, our brothers, our sisters, our families who um, contracted this virus. It is absolutely insane how we behaved, how we shunned, you know, how the government didn't provide um, funding in the ways that it should have because they deemed the population to not be worthy who the population who seemed to be most prone to be worthy of a response of that nature it it's awful um, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately um, and I wrote a little bit about it um, I've been thinking a lot about that during this pandemic COVID And I'm like, oh, there is another way to be when there's a a deadly virus attacking, you know, our brothers and sisters. We can all, um, we can, we cannot shame people for having it. We could, uh, we could demand that there's a vaccine right away, demand it, expect it even, expect it so that we can get on about our lives. And for the first time in my life, I wondered, like, could could this, could, could they have done something about HIV? Like, not, I, I know that the funding wasn't there, I know, but, like, literally just, like, watching vaccines pop up, and I know technology is different now, but just, this has made me feel like, you know, and I might sound ignorant to people who are like, of course, right? just like that people got sick and then wanted a vaccine and now there are there is the possibility of that happening within a year this thing is just like what's different you know, I, and maybe I need to do some more reading like but you know to put it in context, people with HIV um, were left to suffer. And we didn't talk about it for real. Right? You know, growing up, we talked about everything. We hit, There were like three three channels plus maybe a couple of local channels. If something was in the news, we talked about it. Salmonella was killing people, we talked about it. Whatever um, <laughs> Whatever the the big story, the big murder, we talked about it. The big scandal, we talked about it. Um, We didn't talk about AIDS. We didn't talk about HIV in my house. I I grew up looking at New York News where things were happening. We didn't talk about that. I never heard anyone say, this is, and I'm not saying my family didn't care. I'm talking about literally talk about it. I don't. No one ever, after we watched the news, said, I wish we could do something. This is wrong. This is wrong. And then how we, when we date, you know, we shun people, you know, in our profiles and things like that. You, you know, 
people be shunned for having HIV. It just, it was, it's, and, and maybe it still is bad in this way, but it was, it was really bad. And it's crazy. It's crazy. Imagine we're, we're in this virus right now, and, and one could argue, you know, someone might say, well, you potentially got HIV by behaviors that you brought on yourself. Well, we're looking at our brothers and sisters in this country and all over the world decide to still go out and party and do things and whatever the hell they want to do. I mean, theory, you can say that they're bringing it on themselves too. If that, if that's your logic. And we're still not shunning them. We're, we're praying for them. We're supporting them. Even in that, we're loving them. We're expecting the best for them. We're appalled that more isn't being done and more wasn't done faster. Where was that? Where was it? It could have been different. I lived in fear. pretty much all intimate touch from men just scared the shit out of me because I just didn't know I was afraid I was afraid I was afraid I was afraid and understandably so to some degree but it was beyond sort of the protection piece it was just like it's almost like um, we were scared of each other many of us I won't speak for other people all people So I'm listening to that song today and I'm just like <sighs> I was grateful for for having some of the questions answered even though I wasn't consciously thinking about it but in the song is asking will I will I make it another day? Yes. Do I matter at all? Yes. It's like I've led so many different lives in, in, in my lifetime where like that piece of me just feels like it's in a box, but it was very real. That piece of me that was just stuck and frightened And thought that I was going to just sort of die alone and and, and and never get to be closer to my whole self. I'm still working on that, but I'm I'm pretty close. I just sang. I can't sing for shit. I just opened my mouth <laughs> and sang because I felt like it. I'm getting closer. So on this, I think about the coincidences of my friend posting the CD, Leslie Odom, and then me going on to Brian McKnight because he sounded like Brian McKnight, hearing Oh Lord as the first song, the song that I listened to about 20 times in my car, weeping the night before I got my results um, for my, my test. A song that I listened to many times. Um, 
in that time period, just trying to make sense of where I was, who I was. Um, and it, it comes on today on my way to work out um, on World um, A's Day. I don't think that's a coincidence. And I needed that reminder. And it was good to think about my old friend from the, the, the National Enquirer who passed away. And it was really good to think about Julia, who, who I didn't really know outside of work. We had just met who, who saw me And open her arms and literally let me in. Literally open her arms and let me in and uh, made me feel like um, I had a safe space. And what's crazy is I had there was somebody at the Inquirer who was um, I was very close to, still am, love her to death. I haven't seen her in a long time. Pat. And I remember her being a little bit perturbed that I had not come to her. Um and I couldn't quite put it into words and I think I tried to and I think I made it worse when I tried to put it into words um, Julia was a white woman who uh, was really sweet but also felt disconnected from my life we weren't going to run across the same people for the most part socially she existed at the National Enquirer she wasn't going to overlap in my life in many other ways Pat on the other hand um, this beautiful black woman she was older than I was and um, again <laughs> in her 30s, right? But to me, an older black woman, because I was 21, 22, and um, she was caring, sweet, sensitive, took me in, um, took care of me, you know? I didn't have family in L.A. And, um, she became family. But because she became family, I equated family with um, secrets in some ways. And I had been so used to not sharing all of me with the people who mattered the most because I didn't want them to go away. So I didn't tell her what I was going through. Because she reminded me of my aunt. She reminded me, and she's probably not going to like this, she reminded me of my mother. And not that that was a bad thing, but I just didn't want to lose her. And that's a really hard thing to not be able to share the things that you need to share with the people who you love most. Um, so I didn't tell her. I told her afterwards. Um, after I knew that the test was negative and I told her what had gone on and she was happy for me and she, you know, she asked me why I didn't tell her and I couldn't really explain now and I really, this is the first time I've been able to put it into words. I just didn't want to lose her in any way. I didn't know then that I wasn't going to. Um, not because of that. silence I'm thinking <laughs> I'm trying to decide 
if I'm going to stop this now before I go down this, this complete hole, but people need places to go. Your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, uncles, who, um, you know, I say this, this is, this is what I've been kind of working through lately is that the people who are around me the most, my family when I was young and, um, um, you know, they can't possibly know everything that's on your mind and you don't know what's on their mind. So, you know, what you really do is you want things, you, you want things to be what you need them to be and you grow and you understand that they that that all things can't be that way and you accept that right you learn that but there's something about you know let's say I live in California and and I live in LA and there's an earthquake in LA I want you to call me or check in some way if your family if you're close if you know I'm close to where shit went down I want you to call and say are you okay I mean that's pretty reasonable right it's reasonable I think I wanted that in my life around sort of the things related to me being sort of a black gay man trying to figure out life. We know. They all knew how hard it was to be. Had to know. To possibly be black and, and, and gay. And they may not have understood all the complexities if they were not. But just they understood there had to be a pretty difficult place. But no one ever asked it. Are, are you doing alright? <laughs> um, you know. Are you okay? Um, you know. And it's not even that. God, I just wrote an essay the other day that talks about this. I'm not. The car is warm now, so I might settle in for a while. Um, you know, I'm not going to keep you. You can pause it and come back later if you can't listen to this whole thing. But I remember, I remembered the other, the, the other day. I'm writing a piece about around Thanksgiving that will likely come out sometime around Christmas um, and maybe I'll make it a holidays piece but the idea is where is home and how home becomes a really shaky place for um, gay people and I'm using gay as the umbrella term, sorry. Um, but, like, I was with somebody in a relationship for... Okay. So, for Thanksgiving, I would have dinner with um, my friends. There was a period of time where I would have dinner with a group of friends, the same group of friends. And every once in a while, there might be a new person to pop in for a year. And then they disappear. But there was a core group of friends. Um, Benita, Maisha, Reggie, Henry... Um, and then Chris, uh, my roommates, Peter, 
Intron, um, and then and then Pam. But we we'd we'd have dinner together, um, and it was nice. It was my that was my family in Los Angeles, and I remember that. I remember when that stopped happening because people had other things they were doing, were in relationships, got married, so the world changed um, for us. And I remember being sad when I saw that. So that started to stop because that had become um, home. Even if for a day, that was home for me. It gave me a sense of space. Um, I just got sad thinking about it and happy at the same time. But I was also with somebody during those years. I was in a relationship for five of those years. And I can remember one year I hosted and um, my partner was there because we lived together. I'm not going to go into the whole story. Um, I may have told that story, but my partner was there for that because it was our house. But I don't remember him being with us at these Thanksgiving dinners. Those were my friends, right? He's not in my memory. And I look through the pictures, he's not in the pictures. Where where is my where is my where's my boyfriend, right? But then I thought his family lived in Los Angeles. And I had to think through it. I'm like, he was probably with his family on Thanksgiving and I thought about that and I didn't I don't remember thinking about it back in the day but I thought about it um, last week when I was writing I'm in a relationship I live with this man and no one's saying Phil what do you like Uh, what kind of pie do you like they knew me You know, why don't you come over? Where's Phil? Right? So, not even within the relationship was there the safe space because we didn't have the safe spaces always within our families to make the relationship that we had be, I'm going to use this term in its broadest sense, make our relationships feel normal. We're in a normal situation. You might go as a couple to your boyfriends who you've been with forever, who lives with you. You're in the same house leaving to go somewhere. You might go with them to their mama's house, at least for a little while, to eat. You might. Um, Or vice versa. You might. You might extend. I'm sure that that he was he was welcome to be with me and my friends, but I probably didn't necessarily invite. Um, and I think about how those relationships often um, we as the couple and then people around us allowed us to 
to kind of exist as this weird unit that wasn't treated like all the other units in part because no one else knew how to treat us and we we didn't know how to be treated and how lonely that has to be um, it's, um, it's lonely for us and then you think about if people have situations they're jobless homeless breaking up you know and diagnosed with HIV scared where do they go where do you go where do you go and I'm saying people don't have family don't be, people don't have love but like so much of our lives is about being on the outside and if you're not if this isn't your experience you're lucky you're 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 extremely blessed and I wasn't shunned in the sense of um no one no one told me to leave and never come back and I wasn't beaten when I came none, none of that but just the full integration, um, it just didn't. It just didn't exist, and it's a it's a lonely place. And um, after listening to Brian McKnight all day and thinking about myself, and then thinking about Neil and Julia, I began to think about all of the ways that um, that we could have been that we could be better to each other and I'm glad that I think this world is a much safer space a much kinder space towards people with um, HIV and AIDS um, in some ways I hope you're listening you can understand my thoughts when I think about this pandemic in relationship to that just like where was the response not just from government or from scientists um, where, where was our response as human beings towards people this whole pandemic has been um, exhausting and scary and a lot of things but it's also just left me a lot of time in my head and um, that part's been good um, let's let's love each other better um, I want to honor those who who lived with HIV and AIDS um, in a time where people were too afraid and too um, too scared to to love and let people suffer stood by, who fought, um, who cared for, who supported, and who loved um, people who needed the support with HIV AIDS, the people who worked, the doctors, the people that cared to everybody.
has to be less fear. Mongering. We have to talk more. And I think that's why I'm doing this podcast and this is why I write the stories I write. It's not because I want people to just look at me. It's because I wish that I had heard this. I wish somebody else was talking. And when I finally, how I finally got free wasn't just like I got strong. It was because of other people who talked, other people who wrote stories, other people um, who said something, who made me feel less alone. So that's, this is the work that I do. Because I know what it did for me. I used to go to the clinic. Not for 10 days ago. A lot. I was I was insane. I was insane. I was I was so frightened of myself. Of of everyone else. Um Because of the messaging, because of all the hate, um, and I didn't want to be sick, and I really did not want to be left alone to deal with whatever by myself. Because it wasn't just the virus; it was the shunning that happened for a lot of people, and the shaming. And I'm grateful that we that we have moved past that for the most part. It's still there, but we've gotten better. Hmm. I mean, my, my goal is that, you know, my kids and I'm going to, you know, here's the thing I'm going to do all the things I do, that I do for my children and they're still going to go to therapy and talk about all the things that I didn't do and that's fine but what I have to know is that I am creating a space for them to know that they can always tell me anything we, we've started that early they they confess they break something they come tell us they have feelings they come tell us about those feelings and uh, we listen um, they get to express themselves because I think it's important how I, if I had just had some place to go and we all have the opportunity to do that somewhere in our lives, to be a place for somebody to to come to. Um, I'm that for some of my students who never, ever, <laughs> who never leave, right? And they become that for me, right? Like, it becomes mutual. Um, people need a place to land. And we can do that. Maybe we don't have money to give. Maybe you don't have time to to do the work um, on the ground for um, all the causes that you care about. Um, 
but you can listen and you can share and you can talk and you can be there um, and I think that's what came to me today not poor Phil I was sad and I was scared I was alone and I was crying in my car not that but just damn like I was surrounded by people I should have not felt that should have not felt that alone um, and number two because I think you can always get stuck in sort of the hard part number two thank God For people like Julia, who who show up in the ways that they can and just open their arms, you can't get that all the time. Um, you can't be constant. You got to work. Is you know, this person is not your therapist? Is not your best friend? But it's still a gift no matter how frequent it happened it's a gift and it didn't have to be done so I think about both of those things sort of the alone piece and how a simple gesture of just checking in can be the thing that a person needs um, to make it um, quite literally another day so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go listen to this myself because I think I talked for a very long time but I hope um, hope there's something in here um, that is useful um, I might have to you know I'm sitting here <laughs> I might have to move operations to a real studio because you're listening to the hum of my engine. It's not fair <laughs> to you. It's going to get colder. I'm not going to be sitting up in this car. And I can't record in the house, really, because I, I like to be by myself. For real, for real. Um, just alone. So let me see if I can make a studio happen. I live literally across the street from where I work and there is a audio studio there the campus is closed but maybe I can work something out and just get up in there I'm actually trying to get back in there anyway um, to maybe start rehearsing um, in the theater to kind of do my show but maybe it's time for studio space um, I won't make any promises <laughs> like I haven't really left the house for real so walking even across the street past all the foxes towards the campus to get um, to the studio is a, is, is going to take some effort but I'm it's in my head so um, that's a start alright um, you take care of yourselves um, enjoy your holidays I don't know if I'm going to get back up on here before then I'm going to try I'm going to there are things I want to talk about that are not this heavy. Um, so maybe I'll get back on. But you take care. Um, stay safe. Stay sane. Wash your hands. Because it's still a pandemic, y'all. And um, 
talk to you next time. Peace.